welcome to Speaking Startup, Missouri Business Alert's podcast covering the news and issues important to Missouri entrepreneurs. I'm Casey Murray. And I'm Jack Anstein. On today's episode, we'll speak with Jason Bull of St. Louis-based plant science firm Benson Hill, one of the most dynamic startups in the state. We'll discuss his company's approach to tackling large-scale issues in agriculture and to hear why the company has doubled down on St. Louis. And later, we'll look at the ongoing challenges the pandemic is presenting entrepreneurs in the bar and restaurant sector. We'll hear from Lydia Melton, the owner of Gunterhans, a specialty bar in Columbia, about how the pandemic has affected her business. Plus, we'll have the week's headlines, digits, and other startup news you need to know. So what are we waiting for? Let's speak startup. So Casey, Halloween's coming up. Have you figured out a costume yet? Well, nothing concrete, but me and my friends are thinking about going as the Scooby-Doo gang. Which member are you going to be? I want to be Velma. She was always my favorite character. Yeah, my family and I always would call my mom Velma because she kept losing her glasses and it just stuck. Um, I'm actually going home um, for Halloween, but don't have a costume planned. Oh, that's a bummer. I love Halloween. Me too, and costumes are always one of my favorite parts, but last year I was Steve from Stranger Things and his ice cream uniform, so I don't think I could top that anyways. Yeah, that is a pretty good one. But let's go ahead and get to this week's headlines. Missouri will not be getting the Hyperloop test track that business and government leaders in the state have campaigned for. Virgin Hyperloop announced that the certification track for its high-speed transportation system will be built in West Virginia instead. Various groups in Missouri have worked to get Virgin Hyperloop to develop its tube-based transportation system in the state. Backers say the technology could someday carry passenger pods between Kansas City and St. Louis in about 30 minutes. The test track West Virginia is getting is viewed as an important step toward getting an early commercial track for the technology. Digital Sandbox KC will provide early-stage funding to four additional Kansas City-area startups, the proof-of-concept program announced Tuesday. Among the startups is Kansas City-based in-flight safety technology company Air Traffic Awareness and the MarketBase, a marketing software startup. Digital Sandbox KC is a collaboration between public, private, university, and philanthropic organizations that works to move early-stage entrepreneurs from concept to commercialization. The specific amounts that each business joining the roster will receive have not been announced, but they may request up to $20,000. Kansas City-based Equity Squared, an impact investment firm focused on overlooked communities, will use a $290,000 grant to create a pipeline of for-profit startups that have a social or environmental impact. The Department of Commerce provided the grant. Equity Squared plans to use the grant to help social enterprise entrepreneurs scale and to build an impact investor ecosystem in Kansas City. The University of Missouri-St. Louis's Entrepreneurship Program is launching a new startup accelerator focused on supporting underrepresented communities. The Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Accelerator will provide $50,000 to at least six St. Louis area early stage startup founders for marginalized groups. The accelerator plans to accept its first businesses by the end of the year. Kansas City Water Management Startup Near joined the Elemental Accelerator, a Honolulu-based startup accelerator focused on businesses creating solutions to climate change. NEAR received $200,000 for its participation in the Accelerator, which is virtual for the current cohort. NEAR Chief Executive Ilongo Tevar said the money will help the company hire more people, connect to investors, and scale faster. 
NEAR uses machine learning that works to identify leaks and flood risk, as well as assess risk conditions of drinking water, distribution systems, sewers, and stormwater collection systems. This week, I attended the Prepare AI Conference, an online event going on throughout October, focused on different topics surrounding AI and technology in the Midwest. Are there any topics in particular that stood out to you? This past Wednesday, the main theme was Our Planet and Beyond. I tuned into a presentation from Benson Hill, a plant science firm in St. Louis, and they discussed how their platform helps them analyze data so they can create agricultural solutions. Benson Hill? I remember hearing about them during the headlines of a previous podcast. Didn't they open a new headquarters in St. Louis to focus on doing business in the Midwest? They did. I spoke with Jason Bull, CTO of the company, to find out how the company's agricultural products affect businesses around the state and to learn why St. Louis is the right fit for the company. Jason Bull with Benson Hill, thank you so much for joining me. Happy to be here. Um, for anyone who's not aware, can you kind of explain what Benson Hill is and does? So Benson Hill is... Um, been around for about eight years and um, has been growing and developing and uh, pushing into a few different areas, really looking at um, how do we improve the um, nutritional qualities of, of various crop species, um, protein content, flavor, um, healthful benefits. That That's really formed kind of the basis of the company as we go forward and we're, we're continuing to grow and develop. I know one of your major platforms is called CropOS. Can you explain the origins of that platform and how it came to be? Now there's masses of data. And what do we do? Well, you, you need um, analytics to be able to work through that data and make it useful for, for developing crop species, you know, breeding programs. And so crop, crop OS is a series of machine learning models which takes that information, condenses it, um, and makes it actionable to plant scientists. Um, and what greater impact do you see the platform having? As we look forward to kind of the nutritional um, aspects that, um, you know, we believe, and I think many other people believe that, you know, whole, whole um, foods should be delivering to consumers. Um, that's a huge piece. Leveraging biodiversity. A large piece of our food supply comes from very few crop species. Um, and even within those species, the amount of variation that's tapped is incredibly small. And as we start looking for these, these new targets, we can leverage that biodiversity. And the last piece is around sustainability. As you think about um, a lot of the uses of um, our agricultural crops, um, it requires a lot of land because um, often they're fed to animals and then those animals are harvested for protein. And while that's necessary, it's also a very resource intensive process. So supplementing and augmenting that with plant-based proteins um, really removes a very large step that's hard to scale as the um, population of the world continues to increase. So, I mean, we're dealing with very, very large kind of um, macro impacts here, which makes our work really exciting. It also makes it really challenging um, and, and really fun. 
So with these really macro impacts, what kind of goals do you set for yourself in your day-to-day -day work? It could be easy to lose sight of, of where you're at and where you're going if you, if you don't set really tractable um, accomplishments along the way. And we, we take a, um, I'd say a very disciplined approach and also a fairly um, entrepreneurial approach to, to how we do that. We seek to balance both. Um, on the discipline side, having an R&D pipeline with um, phase adv advancements so that you can, um, you can see for all of our different product lineup um, really where we're at and what we need to accomplish, which creates focus within our organization. On the entrepreneurial side, we also really value discovery and innovative thought and how that can lead to really step change advances. So we, we deliberately uh, manage both and bring both together to um, really accelerate our, our, our outcomes. Can you speak at all to the effect um, that your platform and solutions have on startups and entrepreneurs across the state? You know, we have more data than we can possibly get get through um, really in a lifetime. Um, and that data is the source of innovation more and more and more and more companies. Um, understanding the riches that are in that data, harnessing it and bringing it to bear on various different product um, development activities. I know that Benson Hill recently opened up a new St. Louis headquarters. Um, can you talk about what you think this means for the company? Yeah, it's hugely exciting. Uh, it means a lot to us. It, it, um, it's a symbol of our, of our growth and um, how our innovations are, are panning out. Um, I think it's a magnet in terms of the local community, in terms of creating um, really exciting new, new jobs um, in very high tech areas that demand talent. Um, and, and for us, it, um, it combines um, multiple disciplines, disciplines of data science, food science, um, fundamental advances in biology and, and brings that together under one roof. And based on your experience, why do you think St. Louis is the best fit for Benson Hill? I've been in St. Louis, um, you know, a little bit over probably 15 years now. And, you know, we're in the, we're in the center of, of the Midwest. And the Midwest is um, one of the most productive and prosperous um, agricultural food providers um, on the globe. It's also the home of a number of um, very important small, mid and large agricultural food technology companies. And it's an ever increasing area where investment um, is going into emerging companies and startups, um, all of which create a really vibrant environment. This density of innovation and, you know, the people you're talking to on a daily basis are are all doing different things with different crop species and um, that just creates a lot of excitement. And that's all I have to ask. So thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thank you. Have you been following along much with the rules for bars in Columbia? 
I've been generally keeping up, but I'm not sure. It seems like the rules have been changing a lot as the pandemic continues. They definitely have. Changing regulations can be challenging for businesses. That's one thing reporter Tom Cavanaugh discussed with Lydia Melton, the owner of Gunderhans. It's a pub and cafe in downtown Columbia that specializes in imported beer and European treats. I imagine it's pretty stressful to be a bar owner right now. Since Columbia's a college town, I think bars have become one of the most regulated businesses. Yeah, it seems like it's been complicated to balance the interests of businesses with public health. Here's Tom's conversation with Melton, where they discuss the pandemic and how it's hit Gunterhans. Lydia Melton is the owner of Gunterhans in downtown Columbia. Thanks for joining us, Lydia. Can you explain what Gunterhans is for those who aren't familiar? Yes, so we're a European pub and cafe. We specialize in rare and hard to find uh, beers and wines and things of that nature. And we do a lot of homemade snacks and goodies from scratch. And um, what were your first thoughts when the quarantine regulations happened like in the summer-ish? Like when, or not even the summer, in the spring, I should say, when um, everything was shut down. Like, Were you planning on keeping it open past then or were you worried about shutting down completely? So I think in early March, there was a sense of questioning. I think there was a sense of panic amongst the community and that that could really be translated into sales. And we could see it in the number of people that um, were not coming in the door. People were clearly very fearful. And I think as the pandemic unfolded, there were more and more questions and less and less answers. And so I think at that time, it really made sense for us to close both from a health standpoint and from a sales standpoint, because, you know, people were just so afraid and panicked as things slowly reopened and we got a few more answers. I think most of us by and large are feeling better about going out. I think we realize we can't hole up for the rest of forever. That wouldn't work economically speaking. Um, you know, and people are just learning how to fend for themselves and their unique situation, like what is right for their family, giving their set of health circumstances. When you were first given the permission to open back up, how was it adjusting to the new quarantine or the new social distancing rules within the bar in terms of like how your business performed perspective and just overall the challenges of it? Um, so it was overwhelming and very confusing. We had a ton of questions, which the health department and our inspector in particular did a great job of answering quickly. However, things were evolving so quickly from week to week that we essentially got whiplash and fatigue from trying to remain compliant. Um, that said, when the city implemented the you have to be seated rule, it was actually very helpful to us because instead of having a guest who was allowed to not wear a mask while eating and drinking, um, define what that means. You're not taking a sip every single moment that you're sitting at a table, you know? And so they would be standing there and they would have a drink in their hand and they would be standing there and it was just hard to, um, to navigate that. And so when they said, okay, you can take your mask off as long as you're seated at the table, that was a lot easier for us to enforce and a lot clearer to the guest in terms of what the city actually wanted. And um, what do you think about the current regulations in place, like the alcohol ordinance? How has that been since that's been passed? I know it's changed a little bit, but. Sure. So I, 
I struggle with this because I know that these rules were made essentially because there are likely bad actors in our community. Um, and what I mean by that is that we know that even pre-COVID times, there were bars that served minors. There were bars that did things that they shouldn't have done. Um, and it seems by and large like this 1030 rule is made to prevent people from breaking the law um, or to remain seated or, um, you know, whatever it is the objective is, right? And I feel like I am, like my brother got in trouble and I got grounded with him. And I don't understand why I got grounded with him when we were following the rules as well, you know? So it kind of seems like we're throwing the baby out with the bathwater here, but I, I can't think of another reason why this would be the case, that we couldn't be open after 1030. And could you kind of elaborate why you feel that way? Sure. So I don't think that COVID magically becomes more contagious after 1030 at night. So if everyone's seated prior to 1030 and it's okay and it's safe, I don't understand why it's no longer safe after 1030. It seems like an arbitrary number if everyone's truly following the rules. And how has the ordinance affected um, your business per se? Like, are, is there busier hours during the times that you can't serve alcohol? Yeah, absolutely. Um, our Fridays are decimated as a result of this. And so where I'm fearful of for bars in particular, okay, is the majority of their income is made between 8.30 and midnight. If you take away half of that income during the good part of the year, winter is coming. Most of us take a loss during winter each month. You've taken away the buffer that they have. We didn't have a spring. We barely had a summer. Now we're definitely not having a fall. And I, I don't see this getting better in November. Um, I know they're saying, well, if the numbers continue to, you know, to do well, that we'll consider easing up on restrictions. But the message that I heard is, well, what we're doing is working. So now we're, we're not, you know, we're going to keep doing this. What that means in terms of sales is that we don't have that buffer to get through the winter. And it terrifies me. Uh, I'm afraid that, us in particular, mom and pops are not known for being efficient. Um, we have expenses that our chain counterparts don't incur because they have national buying power. But, you know, th as things get more and more expensive, if you don't have that national buying agreement, you're not going to have the leverage you need, you know what I mean, to be efficient with all of this. And so at any rate, um, I am... I am really afraid, given that our industry is so dominated by mom and pops, that they don't realize that when we fall, in addition to having all of those people unemployed, most of us have our home loan tied to our bank loan. So not only will you be without a job, it's going to affect your, you know, your house, your entire way of life. That's something I definitely want the general public to be aware of is that this, this is the reality of our industry right now, and it's terrifying. Well, Lydia, I just want to thank you again for taking some time and sharing your story with me. To learn more, you can visit our website, MissouriBusinessAlert.com. There'll be a more in-depth piece about Guterhans and just alcohol sales in Missouri in general. I'm Tom Cavanaugh, signing off.
Now let's get to the digits of the week, the numbers that matter most in Missouri entrepreneurship. My digit is 200 million. Okay, that's a big number. What does it represent? St. Louis venture capital firm Rivervest Venture Partners has launched a new $200 million fund. Rivervest was founded in 2000 and is focused on startups involved in life sciences. So far, it has made 54 investments and 34 exits. The new fund will be called Rivervest Venture Fund VLP. So, what's your digit? My digit is 27,500. And why is that? A new grant program in Kansas City called the Safe Opportunity Program has issued a total of $27,500 in grants to 14 entrepreneurs operating out of one of the city's most violent neighborhoods. The grants were created by the Community Capital Fund in partnership with the Kansas City Health Department in the hope that they would help decrease violence in the zip code 64128. As part of the grant, business owners will have monthly check-ins with the Community Capital Fund staff and participate in a seven-week education program on entrepreneurship. The awardees have businesses in a variety of fields, from real estate and home health care to landscaping. And that just about concludes this week's episode. We've seen our closing thought. Here's Jason Bull with Benson Hill, discussing one takeaway he's learned from his professional experience. It's this, uh, this idea of being bold, and it kind of sounds easy when you, when you just say it. And then when you challenge yourself every morning when you drive into work, am I thinking big enough? Am I going fast enough? And you, you just reflect on what's possible in a growth mindset. That, that's a hard challenge. That's all we've got this week. This has been Speaking Startup from Missouri Business Alert. This episode was produced, edited, and hosted by Jack Anstein and me, Casey Murray. Our theme music was produced by Elliot Bowman. We'll speak to you next time.